Chapter Nine of Characters of Shakespeare's Plays by William Hazlitt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Antony and Cleopatra. This is a very noble play, though not in the first class of Shakespeare's productions. It stands next to them, and is, we think, the finest of his historical plays. That is, of those in which he made poetry the organ of history and assumed a certain tone of character and sentiment in conformity to known facts instead of trusting to his observations of general nature or to the unlimited indulgence of his own fancy what he has added to the history is upon a par with it his genius was as it were a match for history as well as nature and could grapple at will with either this play is full of that pervading comprehensive power by which the poet could always make himself the master of time and circumstances it presents a fine picture of roman pride and eastern magnificence and in the struggle between the two the empire of the world seems suspended quote, like the swan's down feather that stands upon the swell at full of tide and neither way inclines the characters breathe move and live shakespeare does not stand reasoning on what his characters would do or say but at once becomes them and speaks and acts for them he does not present us with groups of stage puppets or poetical machines making set speeches on human life and acting from a calculation of ostensible motives but he brings living men and women on the scene who speak and act from real feelings according to the ebbs and flows of passion without the least tincture of the pedantry of logic or rhetoric nothing is made out by inference and analogy by climax and antithesis but everything takes place just as it would have done in reality according to the occasion the character of cleopatra is a masterpiece what an extreme contrast it affords to imogen one would think it almost impossible for the same person to have drawn both she is voluptuous ostentatious conscious boastful of her charms haughty tyrannical fickle the luxurious pomp and gorgeous extravagance of the egyptian queen are displayed in all their force and lustre as well as the irregular grandeur of the soul of mark antony take only the first four lines that they speak as an example of the regal style of love-making cleopatra if it be love indeed tell me how much antony there's beggary in the love that can be reckoned i'll set a bourne how far to be beloved then must thou needs find out new heaven new earth the rich and poetical description of her person beginning the barge she sat in like a burnished throne burnt on the water the poop was beaten gold purple the sails and so perfumed that the winds were lovesick seems to prepare the way for and almost to justify the subsequent infatuation of antony when in the sea-fight at actium he leaves the battle and quote, like a doting mallard follows her flying sails few things in shakespeare and we know of nothing in any other author like them have more of that local truth of imagination and character than the passage in which cleopatra is represented conjecturing what were the employments of antony in his absence quote, he's speaking now or murmuring where's my serpent of old nile or again when she says to antony after the defeat at actium 
and his summoning up resolution to risk another fight it is my birthday i had thought to have held it poor but since my lord is antony again i will be cleopatra perhaps the finest burst of all is antony's rage after his final defeat when he comes in and surprises the messenger of caesar kissing her hand to let a fellow that will take rewards and say god quit you be familiar with my playfellow your hand this kingly seal and plighter of high hearts it is no wonder that he orders him to be whipped but his low condition is not the true reason there is another feeling which lies deeper though antony's pride would not let him show it except by his rage he suspects the fellow to be caesar's proxy cleopatra's whole character is the triumph of the voluptuous of the love of pleasure and the power of giving it over every other consideration octavia is a dull foil to her and fulvia a shrew and shrill-tongued what a picture do these lines give of her age cannot wither her nor custom stale her infinite variety other women cloy the appetites they feed but she makes hungry where most she satisfies what a spirit and fire in her conversation with antony's messenger who brings her the unwelcome news of his marriage with octavia how all the pride of beauty and of high rank breaks out in her promised reward to him there's gold and here my bluest veins to kiss she had great and unpardonable faults but the beauty of her death almost redeems them she learns from the depth of despair the strength of her affections she keeps her queen-like state in the last disgrace and her sense of the pleasurable in the last moments of her life she tastes a luxury in death after applying the asp she says with fondness dost thou not see my baby at my breast that sucks the nurse asleep as sweet as balm as soft as air as gentle oh antony it is worth while to observe that shakespeare has contrasted the extreme magnificence of the descriptions in this play with pictures of extreme suffering and physical horror not less striking partly perhaps to excuse the effeminacy of mark antony to whom they are related as having happened but more to preserve a certain balance of feeling in the mind caesar says hearing of his conduct at the court of cleopatra antony leave thy lascivious wassels when thou once wert beaten from mutina where thou slewest hertius and panza consuls at thy heel did famine follow whom thou foughtst against though daintily brought up with patience more than savages could suffer thou didst drink the stale of horses and the gilded puddle which beast would cough at thy palate then did deign the roughest berry on the rudest hedge yea like the stag when snow the pasture sheets the parks of trees thou browsedst on the alps it is reported thou didst eat strange flesh which some did die to look on and all this it wounds thine honour that i speak it now was born so like a soldier that thy cheek so much as languid not the passage after antony's defeat by augustus where he is made to say yes yes he at philippi kept his sword e'en like a dancer while i struck the lean and wrinkled cassius and twas i that the mad brutus ended 
is one of those fine retrospections which show us the winding and eventful march of human life the jealous attention which has been paid to the unities both of time and place has taken away the principle of perspective in the drama and all the interest which objects derive from distance from contrast from privation from change of fortune from long-cherished passion and contracts our view of life from a strange and romantic dream long obscure and infinite into a smartly contested three hours inaugural disputation on its merits by the different candidates for theatrical applause the latter scenes of antony and cleopatra are full of the changes of accident and passion success and defeat follow one another with startling rapidity fortune sits upon her wheel more blind and giddy than usual this precarious state and the approaching dissolution of his greatness are strikingly displayed in the dialogue between antony and eros antony eros thou yet beholdst me eros ay noble lord sometime we see a cloud that's dragonish a vapour sometime like a bear or lion a towered citadel a pendant rock a forked mountain or blue promontory with trees upon it that nod unto the world and mock our eyes with air thou hast seen these signs they are black vespers pageants ay my lord that which is now a horse even with a thought the rack dislimbs and makes it indistinct as water is in water it does my lord my good knave eros now thy captain is even such a body this is without doubt one of the finest pieces of poetry in shakespeare the splendour of the imagery the semblance of reality the lofty range of picturesque objects hanging over the world their evanescent nature the total uncertainty of what is left behind are just like the mouldering schemes of human greatness it is finer than cleopatra's passionate lamentation over his fallen grandeur because it is more dim unstable unsubstantial antony's headstrong presumption and infatuated determination to yield to cleopatra's wishes to fight by sea instead of land meet a merited punishment and the extravagance of his resolutions increasing with the desperateness of his circumstances is well commented upon by enobarbus i see men's judgments are a parcel of their fortunes and things outward do draw the inward quality after them to suffer all alike the repentance of enobarbus after his treachery to his master is the most affecting part of the play he cannot recover from the blow which antony's generosity gives him and he dies broken-hearted a master lever and a fugitive shakespeare's genius has spread over the whole play a richness like the overflowing of the nile End of Antony and Cleopatra